up a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. Season 4, Episode 2. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Restory Conference, which is five days away on September 16th. The price has gone up to 75, but um, I sure would love to have you there. There's going to be some life change that happens, some amazing worship and some awesome stories. So I really look forward to it, and I would covet your prayers for the next couple days as I go crazy and try to (laughs) finish all the finishing touches of this conference. So anyway, that's what uh, is sponsoring this particular show. And to Today, I just would love it if you could spread the word about this podcast. If you could write a quick review of the Restory Show, if you if you're new to it and you have never done this, just go to iTunes and it's pretty self-explanatory. Just write two or three sentences about what you feel about the show, and that will just help it get into the hands of more folks. Also, if you'd like to share your own story, you have a little bit of a four-minute story or less that you would like to share with Restory listeners, and we had one last week. Go ahead and go to marydemuth.com and look on the right-hand side. You'll see a little microphone and click that and you can record up to four minutes of a story and we'll feature that toward the end of the broadcast. Today, I am welcoming Brad Hubert to the Restory Show. He's been a longtime friend. We've met at a writer's conference in the 2000s, a long time ago, and um, he has also written a couple of books. He's a pastor in Canada, and he is going to talk about a pretty delicate subject. This is not for the faint of heart, and if you've got younger ears, you might um, want to have them be successful elsewhere while you're listening to this podcast. He's going to be talking about porn addiction. So he does so with such grace and with such honesty, and I think that there will be um, so much fruit that comes from this episode. So without further ado, here is Brad Hubert. Hey everyone, it's Mary with The Restory Show, and I'm really excited to have my friend Brad Hubert with me today. And he is, uh, he and I met at a writer's conference a million years ago, and he actually looked lost on the day I met him. I think he'd had some <laughs> sort of travel issues or something. And so Brad, thanks so much for coming on to The Restory Show today. Absolutely. I'm really honored to be here. So give the listeners a little uh, thumbnail sketch of who you are and how you grew up and like that you have children and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah. So I'm 47 years old. I'm a church planter. I live in Calgary, Alberta, a church called Manifest Church. I've got three kids. They're amazing. Noah, Glory, and Joel. And I've been married just about 25 years. They're coming up here soon. So uh, next year is 25. I'm already rounding up. So it's it's been awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I grew, up, I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, in the middle of Canada. And um, just really, yeah, grew up in a Christian home. Both of my actually grandparents were pastors. So I got this like rich heritage kind of coming behind me. And yeah. Love my life. That's awesome. So it, it's it been cold up there in the wintertime, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Calgary is interesting. It's kind of like Colorado Springs. So we get like Chinooks coming in. So all of a sudden we'll get super warm for a couple of days in the middle of winter. Everything will melt and then it'll go super cold again. So, yeah. <laughs> Fun times. Well, that is one place I've always wanted to go and I haven't gotten there yet. So someday I'll come up and we'll, we'll, uh, I'll introduce you to my husband and we'll have coffee and we'll go skiing or something. And our fun. doors are open, but if we go skiing, you'll have to teach me. So. Oh, you don't <laughs> ski. <laughs> I ski very poorly. So there we go. Awesome. So, um, what story has God laid on your heart to share with us today? 
Well, as a as a pastor, this uh, maybe it surprises you, maybe it doesn't. But the story I'd like to share with you is a story of how God changed me, transformed me, restored me in terms of a lust addiction. So I just want to be really frank with that today. And um, I think it's one of those things that guys don't like to talk about. But it, man, is it pervasive. And there's a ridiculous freedom that I'm enjoying now. So I just, I love telling the story. I love what you said, ridiculous freedom, because I think so many times when you hear the statistics, and they're not very great for pastors as well as lay people, they're about the same. And uh, so it can be kind of this issue where people think it will never get better, I will never overcome this addiction, and there will never be freedom. And I think that's the lie that so many people believe. And so it's nice to hear it from your perspective on the other side. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, I, I love telling the story. So how did this all begin? Did it start in childhood or did it start later in life? Well, I actually, I found a picture of a naked woman when I was in grade eight. And I had no idea that just looking at that simple image and just the, the objectification that happened and then the ignition of all the little, the hormones and all of that, like an atom bomb kind of result in my life. Um, so it unearthed this real kind of uh, curiosity in me, obviously, which is natural, but then it also awakened lust in me that I've never really known was there. And then I, just, I needed more. It felt like I, I needed more of it. And so um, I, I ended up finding more at a friend's place. His, his brother had um, Playboy magazines out uh, kind of in his room, and I would sneak away from what my friend and I were doing to, to take a couple of looks. And then before I knew it, I was needing more as well not just when I got together with my friend and so I started this is way back in the day but I started uh, I go to the, the convenience store and I didn't want to get caught being there too long so I'd actually like pull the centerfold out and steal that and then started stealing whole magazines this is how twisted I, well, I wasn't old enough to buy them but even when I got old enough I felt like it would be wrong you know to, 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 so stealing it is so much better um, but I, I, you can see the progression there. I didn't see it at the time, but it was, it was like this black hole that was eating me and it's never enough. It's just never enough, you know? So that spiral really continued, um, throughout uh, my teenage years. It got, it got worse till, uh, the point where for me, it was a daily thing, a daily multiple times a day actually like a, and there was an endorphin kind of addiction rush kind of thing that was woven together with that remember I grew up in a Christian home I have this like great heritage I know this is wrong I can't stop right like that's that's where I was stuck I got I, I ended up becoming a believer uh, in Jesus actually quite late considering of my, my heritage and so that was grade 12 um, gave my life to Jesus which transformed for me in all kinds of ways, but not this one. This one stuck, and I would say it became worse, <laughs> actually, because not only now was I doing all these things and the frequency hadn't changed, the addiction hadn't changed, but now I felt stiflingly guilty and ashamed for what I was doing, and I knew how, how wrong it was. My conscience was softened, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And um, so I, during this time, like I, I could say I was genuinely trying to walk with Jesus, right? I, I, I meant well, massive area of hypocrisy in my life, which, which was a great source of shame to me. Uh, I was a youth leader, you know, telling kids to get close to Jesus. God was using me. And 
get, I, I was just so frustrated with myself. So I had never really struggled with self-esteem issues, but that was one area of my life where I genuinely hated myself, like just loathed that part of me. And um, just, you know, what I'm, I'm a hypocrite here. I'm supposed to be a leader. I'm, I'm a pervert. I'm like, there's what's wrong with me. And of course, uh, assuming it's probably, you know, most guys probably don't struggle with this. It's probably just me. I can't believe this. So that was, that was harsh. I, I remember, and I prayed, boy, did I pray. I, I probably not 10,000, but it feels like I prayed like 10,000 times. God, please. You know, I just, I just, I want to be done with this. Why is this happening? And I remember one particular, one particular morning I was on a, I was living in, at home still, um, probably, you know, 19, 20, something like that. And I was, I, I was face down on the carpet in my, in my, in my bedroom, literally clawing the carpet, um, just crying out to God, just saying, why don't you take this from me? And in a very gentle whisper, he just said, well, there's part of you that doesn't want me to. And, and it was, it was heartbreaking for me to hear, but I knew instantly it was true because this, it, even though I hated it and I hated the aftermath, there was something, it was like sin always has a trade-off, right? There's, it's always a job. And, uh, so that, that kind of led me to, uh, instead of just trying to stop, I, I started asking, okay, so why do I, why does part of me still want this? Why am I still drawn to this? Where is this coming from? And that was, that was a major turning point. Instead of just try harder, do better. Because <laughs> that usually doesn't work. No, it actually, there was, I can honestly say there was zero progress. <laughs> It's just just feeling lousy and trying harder is <laughs> confessing, confess, con repent, confess, all of that kind of stuff. Nope. And uh, so I grew up. I didn't have any sisters either, and I wasn't um, growing up. I love my mom, but we weren't terribly close. And so I feel like there was also a female kind of. There's something lacking in that side of my life that was just it, something was was needed, and that was one of the things I was probably compensating for. Yeah, I. I had a, I was on a summer mission trip, um, one of those summers, and the the guy leading the trip, uh, his name is Randy Friesen with Youth Mission International up here, and he. Yeah, I know him. How do I know him? I know him somehow. I've met him. Like an occasional mentor, kind of. In, he's a great guy, but he was he was sharing his story about lust, and he was talking about this ridiculous freedom that he was experiencing, and my knee jerk reaction hearing that was that's bull mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't, it, it was weird because i could tell he wasn't lying but i was going i don't see how that's possible i want it i really do at least part of me does <laughs> but but man i i don't understand you know god show me what is what is he seeing that i'm not you know so jump in at any time, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's good. I'm, I do have one question about that time in your life. Had you ever confessed to another person that you were struggling with this or was this all internal? You know what? Um, I, so I pulled Randy aside that summer and I think he was the first person I'd ever confessed to. Yeah. And um, so one of the things he told me was he talked about taking my thoughts captive obedient to Christ. That's second Corinthians 10, five. And, and so, uh, he talked about being ruthless, like being a, like a guard at the gate in medieval times. And, you know, who goes there kind of thing. And if the 
wasn't wasn't lining up with Jesus, just like run it through, just like kill it, right? And so he talked about the fact that, you know, when you're being tempted, um, even before you can articulate the fact that you're being tempted, you smell it coming. Like you can, there's something there's something shifting in your spirit as, as you become susceptible to something. And so that's when you need to. So I, I feel like it was like a hundred times a day that I was like getting on top of my thoughts. And um, it was exhausting actually, because I was, I was so full of it. <laughs> you know, I, I have this memory bank now of, of images and things that I've polluted myself with. So I don't even have to have new quote unquote material to draw from my, now my imagination is supplying everything I need. And the enemy is like, well, remember this, remember this, remember this. So did, there was progress there, but it was tough. The, the hardball truth was that my mind had become perverse in those. It's, just, it's not, I don't want to put a Christian spin on it. It was gross, right? And, and so when I, when I got back from that summer, I started, I attended, a bunch of guys were forming an accountability group in our, in our church. And so we got together and started, you know, sharing our struggles with each other. So that was good, except you find ways around it. So, right. Cause the accountability is only as good as how direct it is. So I found that I could go, okay, so if I screw up on Monday, then by Friday I can say, well, Monday was tough, but uh, since then, you know, I've, I've been doing well. So you like literally, again, the self-deception is, is just bizarre, right? You play these games. I would say now that accountability only works if, you figure out the the one or two questions you pray no one ever asks, and then ask those ones. <laughs> you know, you could you could hide behind technicalities in the way it's phrased, and you can to rationalize, but you have to like nail this thing, right? Um, so that that was <laughs> it, it. Wasn't as helpful as it could have been that it, it was it was part of it like you shouldn't go it alone right but the heart is deceitfully wicked and so this was prior to you getting married and were you continuing to struggle when you asked her to marry you yeah so see the the funny part like i talked about this female <laughs> the dearth of female um presence in my life so you know what the this is going to be funny but um i was i was in my office one day um, I'll get to the the Mary part, but the I was in my office. I was feeling this overpowering temptation to to go out and buy porn, and and I realized if I don't get help right now, I'm going to follow through. So the only thing I could think of was I called my mom, and <laughs> I told her and I went, and she by this time I had told her what was going on in my parents in my life just so they could support me. So I was like, Mom, <laughs> I'm being Tempted to look at porn. Porn. You need to ask me how I did when I get home. So temptation is like gone, right? Because <laughs> you don't want to answer your mom that way. <laughs> but that shows the like the level of desperation that I had. Like I at this point does like this has got to end, right? So very shortly after that, I met Shauna, who um, was going to become my wife, and we've been married yet. Yeah, like. I think it's like 24 years now kind of thing. So uh, we, uh, <laughs> man, uh, when I realized that she was the one, I had come a long ways. So um, I was not 
like it wasn't a daily thing anymore. It was more like a weekly thing, um, which sounds awful, but when you're even the weekly thing, but when you've come from this place of total bondage, every step is, is a, is progress. But when, when I realized that she was the one, I, I felt really convicted that she needed to know what she was getting into. And so I felt like I was on a good trajectory, but I didn't use that to rationalize hiding it from her. And so I sat her down one day and I'm, I'll never forget it because I, I told her the whole story. I mean, I didn't hold anything back. I, ju I just, it was gross. And I, and I remember my, I was like, um, sitting across from her, my head was slumped. I couldn't look her in the eye and I went on for about 25 minutes. And then when, when I was done talking, she just listened the whole time, not a word. She reached out and under grep touched my chin and lifted it up till I was eye to eye with her. And it was like looking at Jesus. Like she was just like, she loved me. She, she forgave me, even though it wasn't against her. It kind of was because I, I was going to be with her for the rest of my life and I had kept myself right. So I, I had robbed something of, from her. So she, she was, it was incredible. And I can honestly say that the most powerful motivation, um, a deterrent for me was not wanting to hurt her. That she was worth it. So this, this was a whole component that I had been missing, not just that, it's wrong. You shouldn't do it. And it's, you shouldn't objectify But now I've got this living, breathing, precious jewel of a person that I want to give myself to. And she's worth it. Like she's just worth it. Right. And so that also helped me see, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt Jesus either. Like that. It wasn't just that I'm letting him down or I'm breaking some law, right. I'm breaking covenant with him. And I'm, I also realized that just taking my thoughts captive and just reject, 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 reject wasn't health. Like even if I could do that consistently and perfectly, which can't, I still was, I still wasn't health. I didn't have a healthy orientation towards women in, in particular, right? Like, so still this forbidden thing, that's not a healthy way to see a woman. Right. And so like, it, it struck me like, Jesus didn't walk around averting his eyes from everything, right? Like, it's like someone had a wardrobe malfunction. Nope. And, oh, you know, guard my father. Like, it, he, was, he could appreciate beauty and he appreciated the beauty of a person that was m more than just how they looked and more than just a body. And somehow this – so I realized even if I can not do it, that's not health. That's not, that's not freedom yet, right? And so um, I, I just – that, that, that again was like that, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gotten to know Shauna and watching how it affected her. Like she, she's a woman, right? And so I don't want to see her that way and I don't want anyone else to see her that way. And so that was huge. Um, I actually ended up getting to a point where it, it was more like because of Shauna, it was more like a monthly thing or every two months or something. And I was, I was thrilled, but after one particular fall, I, I was just like, so mad at myself that I had done this again. I'd hurt her again that I, um, I, I just said, I wish I could just promise you and Shauna that I would never do this again. And I, I was just, I've never been to that point. Like it, it was, there was a, it was a watershed moment and the Holy spirit just gently said, why don't you? And I was like, 
because uh, you can't. And he, well, why? Like, I'm, I'm in you, and I've, I've led you to this point. So I actually sat Shauna down, and I just, I made uh, a promise to her twofold. One of those promises I've broken once, and the other one I haven't ever broken. So the first part of the promise was, I'm never going to, you know, look at porn and fall in that way again. And for me, it was, I'm not sure what words I'm allowed to use, but there was, there's a component involved in the physical acting of it that I, I, I said, I'm, I'm going to promise you, I'm never going to do that again. Probably five years later, I broke that promise one time and it just killed me. <laughs> but the second part of the promise was because she had agreed to walk with me and come along and marry this piece of work, I wanted her to never, ever wonder whether I had some kind of secret life or w whether I had slipped back into it again. So I told her and with as, as the, God is my witness, right? If, if my heart ever crosses the line and not just the ultimate, like if I've bought a magazine or I've looked at a website or if I've, you know, acted out on it, I'm telling you like anytime my heart crosses that line, I'm going to confess it to you. And, and that may sound ridiculous because some people are like, well, I don't want to know that she needed to know because then what ended up happening was she saw the frequency of those confessions spread out. And then it went from, I've looked at something I shouldn't like, like, pretty despicable to I was at the checkout and there was a cosmopolitan magazine and my eye caught it for two seconds. Right. So she's thinking if he's confessing that to me, he's probably not got some secret thing going on. Right. So it ended up, I, and it, and it also reminded me every time that every time I sinned, I was hurting her and it wasn't just between me and God, actually. That's a lot. It's not. And so that it just kept me honest. And so that promise I've never, I've never once kept something from her. And I like, literally there were times I tried and I would just get sick. Like, I just like, I, like oh, the conviction of, I was like, fine. And sometimes I was angry. I was mad at him, you know, forget it. Okay. I'll do it. But long-term it's created this amazing trust where she knows where I stand. And you know what? It's just, it's completely different. It's completely different. I think, the, the problem, though, Mary, is I realized that difference between self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, and true freedom. By the power of the Spirit, I can, if I've got a poison ivy rash, <laughs> I can resist scratching. But why do I have the rash? Where is that coming from? That's a very different thing. So thank you, Jesus, that I haven't given in for six months or eight months or whatever I would say. But I don't want to struggle so intensely. Like there's still something wrong with me. <laughs> and this is where guys will go, oh, well, just guys will be guys, or that's just the universal male struggle. Or And I understand it's, it's pretty much ubiquitous. But I came to a point where I said, I'm not going to live that story anymore. Like I'm not going to live as a character in a story where falling is inevitable. That's not Shauna. That's not fair. That I will. I'm, I refuse. So it. Um, I. This was a time in my life where I was actually facilitating. I was helping a lot of people find freedom with prayer ministry. Um, and I, just inviting God to, to bring people to the root of whatever you know they're struggling with and set free from that. And and I actually took some time to pray myself and just said, okay. It was one particular moment when I was struggling. I was feeling the temptation. And I hadn't given in for a long time. 
but I actually kind of it felt like I grabbed that deceitful desire and I just it was almost like a living thing, right? And I and I brought it to Jesus and went, This, this, why do I do that? Where's this coming from? I need to know. And this is the weird thing. So the what he led me to was a memory. My mom still doesn't remember it to this day, but she had driven to the supermarket or something and she just left me in the car and just said, I'll be back just one minute. And I remember her running into the store and just being terrified as the protective person in my life who in this moment was my mom running away from me and I couldn't stop her from leaving me. And I, I, that this sense of panic and, and I, I don't, Mary, I don't even remember what Jesus did or said, but he met me in that memory. And it was like, it was gone. It was like all of this, like people think it's, it, it doesn't have to be deeply sexual in the root. Like it was just, I was trying to bring women near to me or have some sort of control over. And I realized I don't have to have that. I can let go of that. And, and he met me in that. And honestly, like, it was mind boggling. Like just, just the, all of a sudden I wasn't like, I'm, I'm still a guy, <laughs> you know, and I'll always be a guy, but it's not a battle. Like it's, it's, it's like Jesus was enough in that I believed it at a heart level and, and I was free. And so I still have to, of course I have to do whatever. I have to watch my eyes. I have to do all, all the things that guys need to do, but it's not a daily like battle anymore. It's, it's completely different. And you know, I used to tell people my top three struggles are lust, lust, and lust. And now I, I don't know. Would it be in the top ten? Probably somewhere. But like, it's it's a completely different thing. And it was it was miraculous. Like, I can't take credit for it. I can't. All I can do is give him glory for what he did. And I just I just love it. I, you know, I love telling the story because my story has so many different components to it, like the accountability piece and the taking God captive, and then. Like all, all of those things. But at the end of the day, I needed the truth of Jesus to set me free in a place where I thought I needed something else like that. That was that's what it comes down to. Right. It's compelling. And I, I think about, you know, the way you grew up versus the way today's kids are growing up with so much more accessibility. The novel that I wrote that I'm still working on trying to get published is is dealing with that issue. And if it was an issue with with my parents, you know, with my father in particular, back in the 70s, <laughs> and I'm, you know, as a daughter and being raised in the aftermath of that, then what is it going to be like for today's generation where it is a saturation? And what's it going to be like for their kids? And I guess my question is, what have you learned on the other side of this and again, we're never like 100% victorious, but you've, you've come a long way. What have you learned about the enemy's tactics in this particular area of your life and in other people who are struggling with this? So I think it's, I wouldn't have articulated it at the moment, but it really is an identity issue. Like, and where do I find my identity? And some people, when they talk about their identity, it's, it's what they are. It's still not who they are not pronouns it's like i'm salt i'm light i'm well yes but you're 
as a, until I find my completion as a as a son of of my father in heaven and and allow him to to <laughs> through Jesus just shed his love in my heart in those places that where I'm still afraid that he's not going to come through and I'm trying to compensate it's really not it, it's an up, it's still an uphill battle right like an as every place in our hearts I think that are settled on that we're 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 so much further ahead than we're not it's a it's a temptation to guard ourselves against not a vortex to try and clamber, cl- you know, climb out of. I, I, I've, so I spend an awful lot of time um, teaching people about what it means to be living saturated in the love of God and letting that be, be who we are as his children. And then, and then he asks what we are, the function and all that kind of stuff. I think that when it comes to when it comes to the people finding freedom from things in the past, I, I look at one of the things I like to say, and I've I, I've just seen the power in my own life, and then so many other people's lives is your past happened. It's not it's not going to change. So, what if you were neglected or you were hurt or someone abused you or that that happened, but your past isn't your history, right? Because your history is the story you're telling about the past. And so God can't, or won't, it's just the way the past is. He's not going to change that, but he can change your history, restory you, right? And, and really what that is, is he's, he's changing not what happened, but what it means, right? And so, no, I don't have to follow through in this way. I don't have to act out. I don't have to be this gaping hole because of X, Y, Z. I, you know, so changing the significance of what it means, I think that, oh my goodness, it's so, it's so powerful. I feel like the first good chunk of my journey was still, it was necessary, but it had a lot to do with me trying harder still. Like the, the, thoughts captive, other people holding me accountable, you know, um, efficient motivation, like all of those things could happen without Jesus, um, right? But um, encountering him at the level of my idolatry and my need and my wound and all of that, that's 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 only him. So I know that I've, I've worked with lots of people since on, on this issue. And I think until they're willing to... Um, until they're willing to face where it actually came from, um, what's driving the behavior, then 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 what they're left with is a bunch of techniques, and 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 that Jesus is after a heart, not not sin management, but like a transformation, right? That's that that's what it basically is. I feel like the poison ivy is gone. I I just have to be careful not to catch. Again. Right, right. Yeah. Now, uh, you wrote a book, kind of an allegory, uh, about kind of about this kind of journey. Am I right? Is that the kind of the subject is identity? Yeah, definitely. So tell us a little bit about that. So I, I kind of retitled it in the last couple of years, Mary. It's called Realms now. It's a, it was a story of, of how God took me out of the exhaustion and futility of of legalism, of like trying just to try harder, strive harder, fight more, thirst more, like all that, and then you'll you'll break through one day. To uh, literally, I as a as a leader, I just collapsed one day, and I was at a youth retreat, and they found me in the fetal position in my bed, and I was just crying, and and I ended up coming to the end of my rope and just going, I believe in you, Jesus, but I can't do this, and so 
just learned what it meant to be cherished by him and living from that place. Um, and so um, that the story ended up becoming um, an allegorized version of my own journey, kind of out of out of that into this. Not not that I'm there, like I haven't arrived, right? But this this unfolding adventure and glory of, in his grace, like it's just a it's a completely different thing. Yeah, I, I I remember reading it and really enjoying it. So um, I'll put a link in the show notes to the book. So is it still available? Yes, it is. Yeah, awesome. it's called Relic. That's the yeah. Okay, so, new new title of it. Yeah. That's awesome. So what kind of advice would you give to someone who's struggling with this particular issue? I mean, I know there's probably thousands listening to this podcast today who are hitting themselves over the head with a hammer because they keep stumbling and they can't seem to get it right. So what advice would you give? I know you've kind of given it already, but maybe nutshell it a little bit. Sure. I, I would say that, you know, in my story, I, I did feel a lot of shame. The shame part wasn't what God wanted me to feel, right? Like there's an appropriate level of guilt for for hurting people and, and hurting God, but don't spend the little energy you have beating yourself up, um, spend it, um, t- doing the right thing. So I would say short term self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And so God can, with some of the tools we've talked about, some of the con- steps, those aren't bad. Those are good. Um, but they're temporary. They're not, they're not a fix. It's like managing your, your behavior. So you don't screw things up worse, but in the long term is, you need to ask Jesus or get help and someone can help you. Where is this coming from? Let's fix that and not to be content until he's touched that deepest part of you um, and set that free. Um, and yeah, I would say that, that was, that's huge. And also, again, don't let yourself slip into playing the, the stereotyped role that this is how it's always going to be. And this is do or this is what this is once you're in this addiction you'll never be free just refuse to play that character that's because you've already decided how it's going to end then right um god has a better ending he has a way better ending you know i love love jesus in john 13 it's a talking about understanding your story um this is the where he washes his disciples feet it's the night before he's about to uh, be betrayed or the night he's betrayed and before crucifixion and it says that he knew where he that he had come from the father so he's at peace with his past he knew he was returning to the father he's he's at peace with the future and so he's able to focus on and just live in the moment not for it but in it in this beautiful peace right i think he's modeling for us there what what can happen and i i think that's the life he's offering I, i think when we settle for less than that, we're settling for less than he has to offer. I love that. And so in the past year, how has God restoried you? Mm. I think it's it's related to what I just said about Jesus, just living in this, living in this beautiful, like being okay with my past, being okay with where my future's going. So if, if I'm not okay with my future and my, how my story might play out, that's where worry comes in. I'm going to leave the present moment to try to secure my own future. If I'm not at peace with my past, I'm going to be recycling that. And I'm not able to live here (laughs) in this moment. I can't inhabit the moment because I'm being pulled into my past and my future. So as I'm finding it's like what Jesus was able to do, he's able to roll up his sleeves and serve, even though he's got this massive thing looming, his crucifixion, he's somehow able to 
be there, right there for his disciples and love them. So I love, I've, I've kind of dedicated the rest of my life. And that's, that's kind of, that's part of the restoring is realizing the character I'm called to play is not that guy who always struggles with lust. It's, I'm a servant of the king who, who's present in, in, in all kinds of situations. And he wants his love to flow through me. Instead of me trying to get something from people, um, I'm free to give, right? I, I, I get what I need from him, then I don't need anything from you. I can just give. And um, what a better story that is to live. And so much more freedom loving, like the ridiculous freedom, you know, of, of then you're not focused on all the wrongs or, you know, the pain that you've gone through. You're more focused on how you can add value to the kingdom. Just receiving that love makes me valuable, right? Like I, in terms of, like I, I be, whether I do anything or say anything, if I'm, if I'm loved and I'm living that way, it's going to rub off on people. It's not a, it's not the new way to try harder. It's just right. love is, you know, it's like, it's a new, it's a joy, really. It's like when you, you encounter someone in a brief moment and you have absolutely a hundred percent assuredness that they know Jesus and you've never even said words to each other. You know, when you run into people like that and you think, oh gosh, I am experiencing Jesus just by being near them. Um, that's kind of the hope is that we would be, you know, that kind of contagion in a positive contagion. <laughs> I, you know, I love, um, I really believe that God's love abhors a vacuum. So it wants to go where it isn't. And that's why it's set free, right? And so now I get to be a channel of that. And so when I find darkness or I find there's a guy living a couple of doors down from us, he's just going through all kinds of garbage. But I love being in the middle of it because God's love wants to go where it isn't. So that's that he needs, right? So, oh, yeah, that's the way to live. <laughs> Awesome. I just, I really appreciate your candor, your honesty and your story and that Jesus is the answer to the story. Cause I think that's, that's always the answer. That's a good Sunday school answer, but it's actually the real answer all the time. So thank you so much for sharing today and, um, for just, uh, telling us how Jesus has loved you. Well, I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been, I love telling the story and I'm, I'm so thankful you asked me to tell it. for listening to the Restory Show today. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, I, I lift up all those people today who listen to today's podcast and are just um, enslaved to something. Um, Lord, it could be porn. It could be food. It could be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be self-esteem. Or uh, maybe that's not something we can be addicted to, but maybe acclaim or fame or our reputation. Um, there's a lot of things that we can addict ourselves to. But Lord, we understand that we are helpless without you. And so would your Holy Spirit just move throughout our heart and our lives and our wills so that we would realize that when we try to fill ourselves with something other than you, when our hearts are broken and trying to fill with things that can never fill, we are going to get deeper and deeper and deeper into our addiction of that thing. And so Lord, you are the better one. You are the, you are the one who will actually fill us and Lord, for those of us who struggle with identity and understanding our own identity and what, where we fit in the grand scheme of things, and Lord, many of us are walking wounded and many of us, me included, don't believe truly way down deep that you love us. So Lord, um, as I'm praying this today, I pray for an overwhelming sense to take over my listeners today and myself that I would understand how wide and how deep um, and how expansive your love is for us because you're our father and we are just children loved by our father 
Help us to rest and settle into that today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to have more information about today's show, head on over to marydemuth.com forward slash four dash two, and may you live a brand new story this week.